All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined, as always, by David Lake. It is Pittsburgh week. Hurricanes uh, travel up to um, the Steel City on Saturday for a noon kick against Pat Darnuzzi's Pittsburgh uh, Panthers. Hurricanes in recent years have had some success. Last year, they did beat uh, Pittsburgh at home, but two years ago, it was the Panthers that snapped Miami's uh, big winning streak and uh, when, when the Hurricanes were number two in the country. So, David, before we even dive into Pittsburgh, uh, it's been a weird, not a weird week, but I think a lot of frustration has been taken out by by the fan base. Um, I think the folks in Coral Gables have been playing a lot of defense. It's kind of rare to see... Uh, a coach like Manny Diaz mentioned the word rebuild on, on Saturday and then um, say the, the quote was taken out of context on, on Monday and then for Blake James to come out and, and publicly support Manny Diaz. It's just, I think, is this, I, I guess, what are your thoughts on all this and were you surprised yeah. Blake kind of came out and did this? I mean, again, we're seven games into the well, season. I, I don't think anyone was really calling for Manny's head. Well, I think Blake spoke. I think that was planned for a while, right? So I think Blake James, the athletic director, typically speaks at these preseason media days for other sports, uh, mostly to get media to the event and cover those teams, right? So Blake was planned to speak at the basketball preseason media day at UM. Uh, prior to the loss to Georgia Tech. Um, So that was kind of already planned, and I think it would have been a bad look if they didn't let him speak after that Georgia Tech loss. So, you know, it was a basketball media availability, but, you know, football is what kind of rules the athletic department at Miami. So there was plenty of football questions that he had to answer. And, yeah, I mean, in terms of the rebuild thing, I mean, look, I don't think Manny Diaz was necessarily hired to rebuild this program. Uh, does it need to to go through a rebuild? Probably yes. Um, but but I think it's problematic when you know Manny was hired because the thinking was it didn't need to be totally torn down and, and rebuilt. It just needed some tweaks. Uh, to use Manny's own phrasing, it needed a, a reboot, um, which I guess, I mean, that's a gradation from rebuild. I don't know. But I, I view reboot not as bad as rebuild. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we got to kind of change our line of thinking with this team. We've seen the results through seven games, both both with the team and the coaching, to be honest, too. Um and yeah, you know, this team just it's not a it's it's not a good team. It's an average team to below average team. And so I think as a fan base, uh, for your own sanity, I think you should just go into every game with kind of those expectations and that mindset. This is kind of a rebuild year. Unfortunately, that was unexpected. That wasn't necessarily what Manny Diaz hyped up during the offseason so I understand the frustration certainly it's not what I expected either to be honest going into this year um, but that's kind of where we're at with things well I, w- I would say Manny 
clearly probably wasn't hired for a rebuild because he's never rebuilt anything. I mean, if right. I was going to build a house, would I get a contractor who has never built a house before or would I get the guy who's, you know, built some houses and has some experience? So I think um, you're, you're absolutely spot on there. And I think that just general line thought process, like he was supposed to keep everything, you know, there wasn't supposed to be a drop off in the defense. They were going to add this offensive mastermind and, uh, things were going to get rolling and it seems like it's kind of been, um, the opposite. So I guess you mentioned we need to recalibrate our expectations and kind of take a step back. We're seven games into the season. Uh, Miami's three and four. What are you kind of expecting moving forward? I think you kind of touched on it there a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think every game is going to be pretty much close. And I, to be honest, don't think this team makes a bowl game. Yes, I agree. We could we could talk about it in that framework, right? So Miami needs three more wins um, to become bowl eligible to reach that six win mark, right? So essentially what would need to happen um, minimally is you would you would have to maybe win the game against Louisville at home. That's the final home game at Hard Rock Stadium. Um, we'll see how these next two games go before that, but Miami might be favored. Um, nonetheless, it's a home game against a team with a new coach. You would think Miami will be in that game. Can they win it? That will likely decide their bowl fate. You would think... You would hope that they could beat a group of five team in FIU at Marlins I think that's, Park. I would think that's a win, but we thought Georgia Tech was a win, and we thought Central right. Michigan was going to be an easy win. So, yeah. Right. So, I will chalk that up as a win, though. I, I think that is definitely fair to expect a win there. So that's two, and now you got to get that third, that that final win to be bowl eligible somewhere on the road. Um. I don't know where you would find that win from. I think, honestly, the worst... So it's three teams on the road. Pitt this week, Florida State next week, and then the season finale uh, at Duke, right? In my opinion, from what we've seen so far, Florida State is probably the worst of those three teams at this moment. Um, But I'm not necessarily convinced this Miami team can go up there and beat Florida State, so... They got to find a road win somewhere. Um, you know, last season they were not good on the road in these ACC well, games. I mean, let's just point this out. I mean, Miami's two and nine on, or two and nine in their last eleven games away from Hard Rock Stadium. So, right. <laughs> I mean, they're just not. It's going to be tough. Um, like, how, how? I mean, if you're a Miami fan sitting, how are you expecting them to get to a bowl game? Like, you have to be sipping that uh, we're a few plays away from being seven and zero Kool Aid. Right. Yes, I think, yeah, you're hoping that these 50-50 losses turn into 50-50 wins, which it might. I don't know. Um, But if I'm looking at a specific game where this bowl eligibility probably comes down to, in my mind, it's Florida State. Um, So if they win that Florida State game, I think it's definitely there for the taking. Um, If they don't win that Florida State game, then you have to win. I'm assuming... In my mind, this week isn't going to be a win. We'll see. Um, I've been wrong about this team plenty from game to game. On paper, I don't see Miami beating Pittsburgh. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think... So let's say they lose to Florida State and lose to Pittsburgh. 
they got to reel off three wins in a row then. And I think at the college level, you don't necessarily see that type of bounce back when a team hits really low points in the season of adversity. We've definitely seen that at Miami, too. Uh, last, last season? Yeah, over the last 15 years, to be honest. I mean, once once the, a losing streak kind of hits, it is hard for this team to rebound for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I if I was go if if someone put a gun to my head and said are they making a bowl game this year I would probably say no. I agree. I mean, it's just so hard to project every week what they're gonna do. I mean, two weeks ago I told probably anyone um, you know that I have a daily conversation with that to to bet their mortgage on Virginia plus the points and then Miami goes out and wins and then right. the following week I think they're gonna roll. Georgia Tech, and it's like, uh, they come out and do that. So, who knows? I, I do agree. I feel like the FIU game is probably a win. Um, I think the Louisville game is going to be a lot more difficult than than we think. Yeah, Anything can happen in, in a rivalry game. Um, but right. those games are just so close. And, and Miami's really won the past two coin flip games against Florida State. You know, there were like late comeback games. Like, eventually, odds are one of those is going to go your way. And then when you look ahead to Duke, you know, Duke's got a mobile quarterback. Has Miami yeah. had any success stopping a mobile quarterback? I know. really good, man. Like, He's this been... guy's going to be better than what we saw from Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. Way He's going to be better than James Graham at Georgia Tech. And Miami still doesn't seem to have, an, have that, that whole department figured out. So it's hard to be like, oh, Thanksgiving weekend, they're just going to go into Durham and, and, and steal a win. Right. I mean, you know there is a there is a chance that Miami has five wins going into that Duke game, and you know maybe they get up for that game. Um, but I mean, look, and maybe this is recency bias, uh, but coming off that Georgia Tech game, I just don't see it. I don't see a bowl game happening for this team moving forward. Um, there was some notable news on was that Monday or Tuesday? Brian Hightower. Uh, announced that he is entering the transfer portal. Um, so this is, I guess, the third or fourth guy that's done it since uh, fall camp's gotten underway. Nigel Bethel, the corner, was uh, the first one. Then you had George Brown, the offensive lineman, uh, and then another offensive lineman in Cleveland Reed. David, me and you have always talked about we thought Brian Hightower was kind of a weird fit here. I mean, he really wasn't playing that much. My th- my thing from this is uh, it's the fourth kid from your your – Storm 18 recruiting class that's announced he's going to leave the team. Um, he was also Miami's like 14th highest ranked player according to the 24-7 sports um, team talent composite ranking. So I think, does it change the outlook of Miami season? No, but you can't have these blue chip or highly rated recruits um, just leaving your program mid-season. I just don't think it's a good sign, and I think it's might be a little bit telling of Maybe there's some frustrations going on behind the scenes about the offense, kind of like there was last season. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's all about what you just said. It's a bad look. It does not look good for the the program. I think, too, as you touched on as well, the fact that it happened mid-season to me tells me that there is some uh, unhappiness. You know, that goes beyond losing. Losing games is always going to make a team unhappy, but you know, it, it kind of tells me that there is something deeper than that within the program at this point. 
And yeah, I mean, look, is Brian was Brian Hightower ever going to be a leading receiver for Miami? No, um, but there that's a position group that doesn't have much depth at the moment, especially with Jeff Thomas suspended again this week. And you know, I think too a domino effect of this is what does this mean for Jeremiah Payton's redshirt? Right, so. It's it's pretty evident at this point that I think they wanted to redshirt Jeremiah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, we can kind of get into this because I had that this further down the list, but let's kind of like dive yeah. into it now. I mean, let's just talk about it. So Manny has said, you know, this is a rebuild or it's not a rebuild or whatever they want to call it, a reboot or they're not what they thought they are. Um, it seems like right now, aside from the two freshman offensive linemen and the two corners uh christian williams and to Corey couch they don't want to play any of these freshmen and it's like what are you guys doing i mean jeremiah payton uh he came in for spring football i mean he was pretty good in the spring i mean he had a long touchdown catch in that game against uh like that, that scrimmage at traz um and they just want to redshirt him i mean they it seems like he i don't think he's played the past two games jafari harvey another kid i mean those are your two highest ranked signees and you're not playing him. So my question is, why aren't you, it, now that Hightower's gone, are you going to play him, or are you going to keep this very, very short rotation at receiver? Well, the thing, I don't know if you mentioned it too, but like with, with Jeremiah Payton and Jafari Harvey, both of those guys enrolled early, right? So they were here in January. And the expectation for guys, if they do enroll early, is that they have a chance to, to play as, as true freshmen. Um, my thing with this whole red shirt strategy um, that I that concerns me is from a recruiting standpoint, I think it could be if you become known as the program that red shirts all freshmen, I think it's going to be hard to recruit elite level guys from the state of Florida. Um, yes. Guy, yes. Guys from this state, you know, they want to be three and out. To the NFL, they want to be, you know, four-year guys at the longest. Um, so, if you are the redshirt program and you're recruiting against programs that, you know, embrace kind of like, yeah, we're going to get you ready in three years to go to the league. I think that's going to be a tough sell for Miami. So, I mean, obviously, the pivot then for Miami would be to recruit lower-level guys that will welcome those extra years and need more development, need more time. Um, but then I kind of worry about what that might look like as a roster and as a team. It's a fair point. Uh, um, we've seen some schools in the ACC that have had success with that model. Lake Forest comes to mind. Um, Virginia is another one that, I mean, those, those programs aren't playing their freshmen and they develop those guys. And I agree. I think if you're a recruit sitting in the stands, I mean, what freshman are you seeing make an impact for Miami? And Manny said on the hurricane hotline, well, we got a a help wanted sign at the front of the building. Sure. But there's no guarantee. Yeah. You're not (laughs) playing these guys. It's like, so they're supposed to just believe your word. I mean, you're telling us Ivy, right? Like DJ Ivy had a bad game and I understand like Trajan Bandy got hurt in the second half. And so we saw a little bit more of to couch, but like, 
Why didn't we see more of Christian Williams? Like, you know, Manny talks about accountability, all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know, like at some point it's like either you're, you're coaching the problem or you're allowing it to happen. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Like I, I was, I was, I was kind of surprised that they left DJ Ivy in the game and didn't give one of those younger guys a shot to maybe show what they could do. And well, go ahead. Uh, speaking of Ivy, I did look it up. According to Pro Football Focus, he is the second worst cornerback in the ACC in coverage. He's been thrown out 18 times this season, and he's given up 15 catches, two of which have gone Oof, for touchdowns. So he is bad. not. It's bad, and I like, agree. Typically, I mean, typically guys let about 50% of the targets get passed on them. And even that's kind of high, 50% high. So that's like what? High 80% where, where quarterbacks I, throw at him and he's allowing catches? That's not good. I mean, like, I'm a DJ Ivy guy, I, am too, I guess. to be honest. I am a fan, but, but it hasn't like, been good this year. Right, and you got to eventually get to a point. You, like you said, you talk about the accountability. You talk about the battles on gra- on green tree and we made all these changes coming out of the bye week it's like all right well well where are they and i do think some of the receptions on ivy like there's been good coverage i mean there's been some catches where it's like how did the receiver come down with that but at the end of the day the guy's getting beat again and again and again right so again like going back to the red shirt thing like in your opinion andrew do you think the fan the miami hurricanes fan base would be cool with this philosophy. Like, are they? Would they be cool with recruiting at a Virginia level and being a redshirt type program? No, <laughs> because they want to get all the they they want to get all the all the big dogs from um, South, from South Florida. Florida, right? Yeah. And then, but like so, that's the advantage. That's why the University of Miami is a you know. When it's at its best, it's a top-tier program, and that is why, because of the location, because of all the crazy amount of talent that is surrounding the area. And so to not, uh, to have a philosophy that doesn't take advantage of that, to me, it would be concerning. I don't know. It'd be silly. It's... I I mean, just, if you were going to do that, you would absolutely have to hit complete re- reboot right i mean you can't you can't say that and then still sit here and chase after the james williams of the world um the tyreek stevenses the the josh jobs you well, know look, you can't you can't have your say, like manny hasn't come out and said we want a red shirt all freshman right but right. the actions the actions are telling us that so you know these kids, the the recruits will have to come to this conclusion on their own, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of what they are telling us with their actions, they're telling us that they want to be a, a redshirt type, you know, quote unquote, player development program. And, but I will I will say, I mean, I think like the freshman defensive tackles, like it makes sense to redshirt those sense. guys, yeah. right? But there's other ones where it's kind of confusing. You use Larry Hodges for a two or three game spell in that like H back um, fullback role, and now it's like Michael Parrott. Are you trying to get an extra year out of Larry Hodges, or right. are you are you trying to win games? I, I just I, I don't know. And to me, like where this matters too is is with recruiting, where it's like okay, let's say Miami is recruiting a guy in the Treasure Coast or up in the Jacksonville area. 
and they talk to Jafari Harvey or Jeremiah Payton, you know, even if they're committed to Miami and thinking about enrolling early, why would Jer- Jeremiah Payton and Jafari Harvey tell them, yeah, come in January. It was good. It was a good experience if they're not playing, you know, I mean, these are things you got to think about. If guys give up their last semester of their senior year of high school, they should be playing on Saturdays more than we're seeing, you know, Jeremiah Payton and Jafari Harvey right now. I understand, like, in theory, this is going to pay off four or five years from now, but I just don't think Miami is a program that needs to recruit that way. I think programs like Virginia, Wake Forest, those programs you were naming, they have to recruit that way. They have right. to redshirt guys to compete against programs like Miami that can get a better caliber of player. I mean, if you're Manny Diaz, are you, are you sure as of today right now you're going to be there in four or five years when you're uh, reaping the benefits of, of Harvey right. having redshirted? Well, no. that's a con- Yeah, that's another thing, too. That's a fair point, too. Um, let's shift over to the quarterbacks as of the taping of this podcast. Uh, so Thursday just about after lunchtime. Miami is not named a starter for the Pittsburgh game. Uh, I think Manny initially said he was probably going to name it on Wednesday. Then he said Thursday, and uh, there's still not been an announcement. Uh, thoughts on that? Who do you think they trot out there? Jaron Williams, Nikosi Perry, um, or like Tate Martell? <laughs> <laughs> or Carson Proctor. Yeah, um, yeah. so I asked Miami's um, you know media relations contact if he thought you know because sometimes Miami will release newsy type things you know through their social media channels or or through their own writer Um, and he wasn't sure if that was going to happen with this um, you know quarterback decision so it might be a situation where we all kind of find out on Saturday Um, which is what it should be like why would you give Pitt an advantage but I mean I don't know correct um So I, in my mind, unless his um, non-throwing shoulder injury is just so significant that Nikosi's in a ton of pain and can't operate, I think the starting quarterback needs to to remain Nikosi. Uh, You know, when you look at what Pittsburgh does, Pittsburgh is going to stack the box with eight guys, and they're going to ask a quarterback to beat them deep and outside the numbers. And to me, that's not something Jaron Williams can do. Um, Nikosi has the arm to do that. Um, You know, he's got to connect on some of those passes to loosen up Pittsburgh's defense. But in my mind, um, assuming Nikosi and Jaron are both of equal health, which I think they are, to be honest. They're both dealing with shoulder stuff. Um, I think Nikosi needs to continue to get the nod, but... With that being said, it is a little fishy that they aren't going to make this one known going into this game. So, you know, certainly Tate Martell stuff is going to bubble up out there, rumors, and even Carson Proctor stuff, um, simply because I think those guys are healthy. I think the reason that they would go with one of those two guys is is simply because of health. Um, But yeah, if it... Assuming Nikosi is healthy enough to play, which at this point it seems like that's the case, uh, I think it'll continue to be Nikosi. I agree. I think 
didn't pro football focus have him as like Miami's highest ranked offensive player uh, coming out of that? Yeah. Of that pit, second pit game. First or second. Yeah. He was and up it, there. It was definitely his best performance. I think of his career. If I'm really, if I'm not. I didn't yeah. know that. I mean, I, I guess I got, uh, I don't know. I'm making that up, I guess now, but I would assume so. He I was mean, solid. I mean, the thing with Nikosi is he's, he is doing what Dan Enos asks of him. Is he out there lighting it up with huge statistics? No, but he's protecting the ball fairly well. I mean, the the fumble was at the start of the Georgia Tech game was not good, but also like wasn't I mean, his fault. The offensive line, like yes, the offensive line was terrible, and in my opinion, the play call was terrible. Like, why are you calling a screen that deep in your own territory? But that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, look, I think Nikosi is, is, you know, he's doing what they want him to do. And I don't think he's done anything to warrant a benching. Right, 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 right. I'm hold on. I'm looking up to see that thing on. It's definitely his best game of the season. All right. So let me let me let me look this up. I thought I thought it was interesting how I mean, obviously, we saw Nikosi took a big shot um, during that game. Uh that had him leave for the series in which Jaron came in. And I thought it was interesting that it was, you know, Manny Diaz didn't share with us that, yeah, Nikosi dealt with a, you know, somewhat serious separated shoulder injury. And it was impressive that he came back in and, and battled through. It was Dan Enos who volunteered that information. Um, yeah. I just re- don't think, I don't think Manny likes Nikosi. It's like, Clear it seems that way. It seems that way. Um, you know, he's quick to praise Jaron, maybe not as quick to praise Nikosi. But, you know, maybe we're reading too much into things, too much between the lines. But that's kind of the vibe I get, for sure. Okay, it was the second best game of Nikosi's career. The best one was the Virginia Tech game last year, according to Pro okay. Football Focus. So, um Speaking of the offense, I texted you this stat. Uh, I think it was Wednesday or something like that. Looked it up. So according to Pro Football, or I'm sorry, to Football Outsiders, busted drive rate. So that's a percentage of drives that earn zero or negative yards or result in a turnover. The Hurricanes currently rank uh, 118th in the country, which is bad. Um, but what I found is interesting. Everyone complained about the offense last year, and Miami's uh, busted drive rate was only uh, 82nd in the country. So I know this is just a small number, a small statistic, but do you feel like the offense, um, in a way has regressed from last season or Uh, I think uh, honestly, I think it's about the same. I think I, I would say, I would say the quarterback play is better, not much better, but it's better. And I, I I agree with that. I think the offensive line play this year is worse. Um, I think the receivers are about the same. I mean, there's yeah. less drops this year, but there's still been big ones. Right. And then, you know, tight ends, Brevin Jordan's been better simply because he's a year older running game. You know, I think I'm surprised they're not leaning on it more. Um, I guess I would say maybe it's slightly better this year. I don't know. It's it's really a, about the same though. So yeah, yeah but I mean, it, no, it goes. Let's go back to the start of the episode though. The start of this podcast. I mean, we talked about recalibrating expectations. I think a lot of people thought 
when Dan Enos came in, he was going to breathe life into the offense. And I think the reality is seven games in, it's like, uh, you know, we're, we're having to figure out if it's really better than it was last year. I think an interesting conversation to have, if you want to have it, is how they had nine months to prepare for Florida, right? And essentially on the offensive side of the ball, they had to figure out two things, their starting quarterback and their offensive line, you know, specifically the offensive tackles. And I think you could argue maybe they got both of those decisions wrong. Would you agree with that or is that too harsh or is that am I looking at it with the hinds like because Jaron is dealing with some kind of shoulder thing. So maybe it's unfair. Um, But in my mind with this personnel and and like we both knew the offensive line wasn't good. Like should Nikosi have always been the guy and and look Jaron didn't play poorly necessarily. Um, But the 10 sacks was bad and you know half of those sacks we're probably on Jaron, um, you know, and then they started John Campbell. They pretty much immediately told us that was a bad move by no longer yeah. starting him. And, and now Zion he's playing Nelson, guard. Right. And Zion Nelson is allowing the most sacks of any offensive tackle in all of power five. Now the flip side would be, okay, well, what would you do, David? Uh, who would you start at offensive <laughs> tackle? And, Honestly, you've given your theories on this, though. I mean, yeah, if it were me and look, this is going to sound crazy now because he's not necessarily playing great at the moment. But like I would have told Navon Donaldson, hey, in January, hey, you're our right tackle. Get your body right. Get ready to be our right tackle. And I would have told DJ Scaife, you're going to be our left tackle against Florida. In my mind, that would have been a better route to go. I know that's up for debate, um, and I totally get it if you disagree. But oh, look, well, man, you can't argue you. with the results. Like the results are bad. They they have the worst. Like that showing by those two offensive tackles against Florida is the worst I've ever seen at Miami. Well, you told me this. Oof, I think when we were midway through the Central Michigan game, when they started making some changes. Did it seem like Miami, in a way, was okay with losing to Florida? That's why they rolled out what they did. Like they're like, all right, this is not fine, but well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I think what they did was they just kind of took this mindset of we're going to embrace a youth movement, and you know we'll take our lumps against Florida, but we will expect improvement during the course of the season. And I don't think improvement should ever be expected because some players simply don't have it. And, you know, I think it was unfair, honestly, to put Zion and John Campbell out there against Florida. Uh, Just throwing them out there because they're young, to me, uh, was interesting. And I think think it, it was a bad move. Like I said, like you had nine months, man. You had nine months to figure it out. And on the offensive line thing, I think they failed. Um, At the quarterback thing, that's up for debate. Like, Jaron wasn't necessarily that bad in that game. He wasn't. Um, But when you know your offensive line is that bad, I think having a mobile quarterback back there is something that needs to be strongly considered. 
It is. It is. Some hot um, takes, Andrew. Man, <laughs> dude, I you had you had to get that out, but it's <laughs> it's good venting. I, I'm here for it, and you know we've 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 had these off air conversations a lot. I, I mean, it's not disagree. What do you think? No, I, like crazy? I agree. You could tell me I'm crazy. No, I agree. I mean, I don't know if Nikosi, if you start Nikosi, you beat Florida. I don't know. No, if that I changes. agree. I don't think it changes anything either. But I do think it's an interesting thought process to have. I mean, have they made the right decisions in these key certain spots? And one could argue the answer would be no. And uh, I mean, Look, I, I do think the quarterback room is better than it was before. But yeah. moving forward, it's like, how is this? Are we supposed to expect the offensive line to get better? Like, what are they doing to make this unit better? I think, too, like you look at, I mean, this is the other side of the ball, but like they took so long to make Greg Rousseau um, a guy who gets a ton of snaps in games, right? Like what? why is that so hard to see? Why are you not throwing uh, Camden Price out there against Georgia Tech when your kickers are just, you know, absolutely going like, they're they're obviously messed up so you needed to make a change there and i i for the life of me cannot wrap my head around what manny is waiting for in terms of throwing camden price out there i mean that's to me that's going to be the difference between miami going bowling and not going bowling because if they throw camden price out there and he hits one field goal they probably beat georgia tech i don't know i just think some of these personnel decisions are are interesting so far this season and maybe i'm i'm reaching on a lot of this stuff that that could be fair i just think it's interesting things to think about it is it is one other thing i wanted to kind of get into and um just because i thought it was interesting you actually were the one that wrote this story Manny says that his class of 2020 kids, uh, that, that recruiting class that's currently at 22 prospects, is full of true canes. Um, yeah. And, and what I, I think what he means by that is guys that are going to come regardless of, uh, of what's going on. Um, initial, like, I, I think one of our colleagues... One of our colleagues had the greatest uh, good tweet about this, and that was Luke Stampini. Um, you know, that was a quote that seems like it's catering towards message boards more than anything, right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, anytime you talk recruiting, that's probably who you're talking to, right? The diehard fans that are on message boards. Um, you know, look, he's got to say something. I think so far the class has, for the most part, stuck stuck together stuck with Miami and I think too honestly if you look at it through the lens of you know how is their class for a three and four team it's a pretty good class do you agree <laughs> it is dude it's kind of crazy I mean it, it really is I mean they have three of the state's top players committed and, and Jalen Rivers Don Chaney and and Chance Williams it is a, it is a very good class so if they don't make a bowl which you know, is what we're kind of both predicting. The focus needs to be just scratching and clawing to hang on to these guys. I don't even necessarily think the focus needs to be like, hey, who else can we add? Um, you know, there's certain positions that need bodies for sure, but like in terms of adding five-star guys or big-time well, recruits, I don't know. Do you think the focus should shift to, let's say Miami misses a bowl, right? So lose at Pitt, um, 
I don't know, lose at Florida State, beat FIU, split the final game. You think the focus should be, all right, hang on to what we got and save spots for portal guys, or do you think it should be take developmental guys and build them? <laughs> like, what do you, well, or what do you, what would you do, and what do you think they'll do in that scenario? I would probably recruit because I think I would I would add as many high school guys as I can because I think if you get in this cycle of constantly adding transfer guys every year, you know, your Not roster sustainable. Right. Your roster becomes kinda very small, even smaller than it will be now, I think. Um and I think too, you only do the the portal and grad transfer thing. If you feel like you are close, and I do think Manny Diaz thought he was close last offseason, and that's why he kind of went that route. In addition to, you know, he was hired after the early signing period, so there was not many high school guys out there. Um, but, you know, at this point, we are we are kind of at a rebuild stage. And so, in my mind, that needs to be high school recruits, not transfer portal guys unless it's just like a total can't miss transfer portal you know let's say um you know heisman trophy candidate at quarterback wants to come of course you take that um but yeah i mean i think for the most part they need to focus on laying the groundwork with high school recruits but then you got to play those high school recruits right i mean you can't stash them on the roster right i mean that's the thing like you're, you, they do have some big time commits, um, and if they end up signing and they add them, you're gonna need to play them. So yeah, I just it'll be interesting to see once we get out of the season, like who leaves, because I think more transfers will happen. Um, who maybe goes pro, and how that factors into the entire number situation. So let's take a kid like Don Chaney, uh, Miami's highest ranked kid. Uh, the four-star running back out of out of Blinn Jesuit, like, yeah, you know, a lot of other schools are calling, but at the end of the day, there's a good chance he's going to be playing next season as a freshman. I mean, just because, yeah, he if has DJ, to. If DJ Dallas were to leave, like, he might even yeah. be like the the back. I mean, we still don't know what what's up with Lorenzo Lingard. You know, I'm a Cam Harris guy, but I think they want to kind of do tailback by committee. I mean, if you're Jalen Rivers, like, you would have to think you have a chance to play to play early so i will say uh, this if there is one position group in my mind where i would be okay with them just going crazy with taking bodies and volume shooting in terms of transfer portal grad transfers juco even it would be offensive line um i know it didn't work out with tommy kennedy and offensive line you know acquisition in that way is risky because Chances are most good offensive linemen aren't going anywhere. Um, but to me, if you look at Miami's roster, obviously that is the position group that needs much improvement moving forward. And, you know, look, if, if they do find a way to somehow improve that group a little bit next year, I don't know, is the team that bad? Like on paper, I don't necessarily think the defense looks that bad. Um, you know, offensively, the the quarterback situation, we'll see how the rest of this season pans out. But it, it kind of just comes down to that offensive line. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, and I don't want to sit here and like harp on Butch Berry or, or whatnot, but we still have zero clue or idea what type of recruiter Butch Berry is. Uh, the two offensive linemen that are playing as true freshmen, Zion Nelson and Ja'Kai Clark, those were Stacy Searle's evaluations and uh, commitments. Like when Barry was hired, those guys were already here. Um, so then we start. Let's he starts the 2019 cycle. He identifies Gerald Mincy, the kid at Cardinal Gibbons, as as an offensive lineman he wants to get. Well, Mincy ends up at at Florida. Uh, Remember the Connor McLaughlin kid over um, tall, lengthy kid in in the Tampa area. He's at Tampa Jesuit. Turns into a huge priority. He ends up committing to Stanford. Um, Isaiah Walker, another guy that they they offered and they thought they wanted. He's at Florida. Uh, So, I mean... I know he's got Jalen Rivers committed, but I think, I mean, if Stacey Searles was still here, Jalen Rivers would be coming. Um, Chris Washington, the kid out of Tennessee, like he's a tall, long athletic tackle, but Miami at the end of the day was probably his best offer. So, I mean, wh- who did he really beat there? It's just, I do agree with you. Miami's going to needs to volume shoot there and get as many able and capable bodies as they can. But I think we're, I guess, about seven weeks away from the early signing period. And it's like, where are the names on the offensive line? Like, where are these options coming from? Because it seems like right now there there aren't a bunch. Right. I mean, the one that hurts to me is Isaiah Walker. He's from Miami, Norland. Uh, I think he's a big-time offensive tackle prospect, and he's going to Florida. So that, that But can you blame it? Can you no, blame a kid? I mean, I mean, like, you know, there's some people at Miami that wondering why, wonder why it's so hard to recruit at Miami right now. And it's like, well, you guys aren't. You know, you're not winning games like we, we say it every time when you win games, it's it's a lot easier. I mean, if you're an in-state kid, why wouldn't you want to go to Florida and play for Dan Mullen? I mean, you got college game day there. Um, they're winning. I don't know. Yeah, they're winning. Uh, and, you know, Florida like has done like this volume shooting strategy on the offensive line. And it seems to be working. Like, I'm not saying Florida's offensive line is great or anything like that, but at least it's better than what Miami's got going on. Tell me, tell me what's going on at cornerback. It seems like a lot of shakeups happening there with their recruiting. Tell me, what what's going on there? Because a lot of these names I don't even know. <laughs> um. So, well, we I said it. I think the last podcast we did, you know, Justin Hodges opened things back up. It came became pretty clear that they're going to take another cornerback. I was told by. Um, someone pretty pretty plugged in and I, I wrote this on the site miami.247sports.com for our vip subscribers on earlier in the week so I, i'm hearing that miami's probably going to take at least one more with the possibility there of them taking two more cornerbacks i think one will be a high schooler uh to pair with marcus clark the the, the athlete out of winter park and, and then they'll try to get like a veteran body so that could be a junior college guy uh, a transfer portal guy so um yeah, that's how I think it's going to shake out. The two, the two high school kids they've offered are uh, Devonte Brown. He's at American Heritage, uh, a lengthy kid. I actually think his tape's a little bit better than Justin Hodges, but he's in that same mold, long arms, like six one, six two. His dad actually played at Miami. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember his dad's first name. It's like Sylvester Brown, I think. I mean, he was back in the day. So I'm actually going to go watch him play on Friday night. I, I'm not ready to give my thoughts on on where he is or or what we should think of him just yet the other one t denson i actually did see him play because his school uh what is he at like cedar grove i think the same school that 
Jaden Hazelwood was at. They played Miami Central back in August, and I saw him play. Uh, he, he's fine. He, if I had to compare him to anyone on on the roster, I would say he's got like that to Corey Couch kind of coverage skills. So I don't know. It looks like they're gonna try to get one of those guys and then and then go after a junior college kid. I think they finally realized that uh, the pipe dream of landing Brian George it probably isn't gonna happen just because uh, pretty much everyone in the SEC wants him. Tell me this: of those new guys, is do they are they in a better spot with? Any one of those guys in particular, in your opinion? I think it's got to be the Brown kid. Like I said, Dad played at Miami. Um, you know, he's he's close with Nesta Silvera. I think if I'm Miami, and you were kind of talking about this earlier, you know, do you save the spots for the portal kids or do you try to develop kids? Well, if Miami has two spots available, I think you try to get uh, Devontae Brown and then you try to get Douglas Amillion. Um, those are two... I don't know if they're late bloomers, but they're local Broward County kids. Uh, and you you talk about wanting to stay home before you branch out and, and look everywhere else, where these are two kids playing on a good local team that Mike Rump has ties to. So I, I'm not saying they're a package deal, but I think it would make sense to take those two uh, and then kind of you know finish out the class the way you can. I mean, it's pretty clear like the dream of going and chasing these these quote-unquote unicorns is, is pretty dead. I mean... Yeah, I don't think you got to keep not... this class together. That's probably yeah. number one right now, right? right? And then, and then, hopefully, you're making good evaluations here, right? Hopefully, these these guys can be, um, you know, I, I don't think I think Douglas Amelian could be Mike Harley. I think um, Devonte Brown, like I think he could be, I don't know, I don't want to say like Robert Knowles, <laughs> but like you know, I think I think there's something to work with there. So like. Trust your evaluations if you think these guys are good. Yeah. Okay. Just to wrap up recruiting, I guess with the, with the commits, we touched on it a little bit, but you know, do you feel like most of these, you know, top half guys on their commit list are they locked in right now? Do you buy it? Um, is there anyone you're kind of looking at as as being a little shaky right now? So we mentioned Don Cheney. Um, I spoke with his dad. Uh, earlier this week after the Georgia uh, Georgia Tech loss. He seems to be pretty um, locked in. I mean, he, he always brings up the point how Don's had opportunities and chances to leave Berlin Jesuit and go to better schools like a Miami Columbus or uh, any of the, uh, um, any of the, you know, in, or public schools, not in-state schools, excuse me, down there. So I think he's fine. Had the same conversation with Tyler Van Dyke's um, with Tyler, uh, Tyler Van Dyke's father, sorry, uh, responded to a text message right here from the boss. <laughs> um, uh, Tyler Van Dyke, you know, he's, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I mentioned this on the other podcast. We do the five rings podcast. Um, you know, it, it, Tyler Van Dyke enrolling early doesn't seem like a big deal now, but if if one of these quarterbacks were to leave, like a Tate Martell or a Jaron Williams or even a Nikosi Perry, then like him being there in the spring's a lot bigger of a deal. Yeah. Uh, I think the two Oak Leaf kids, I, I'm pretty sure they're coming, um, regardless of what happens. At least that's what their family members have have relayed and indicated. I think the only official visits they're going to take are to Miami that December 13th weekend, right before the early signing period. We've seen Elijah Roberts. We've seen Romello Height publicly support Manny Diaz in the program on Twitter. Um, Branch? How about my boy Branch? So Branch, 
I don't know. I, I think there's going to be some outside pre- or some inside internal pressures from his family to maybe stay closer to home. Um, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, two to watch out for there. So I think if I had to move up or put whoever's the, the biggest, the one to watch is right now it, w- it would be Darren Branch. Um, I do think some of the, the bottom half of the class, uh, there's some guys that I don't expect to sign with Miami just because uh, maybe when they committed to Miami, um, you know, they haven't developed the way that Miami thought or needs have arisen up elsewhere. So there are a few guys that I think will eventually decommit. And I'm sure uh, the newspaper media and um, you know everyone else will freak out about it. But uh, those that really know what's going on know that Miami's kind of been planning and pushing this all along. So I don't want to throw out any any names, but those are... Uh, what about... I, I I'm curious just on Clinton Williams. He's a guy who's from North Carolina. He's kind of got an intriguing, like, athletic profile. Are any of those, like, North Carolina, Virginia area schools sniffing around there, or is he pretty locked in in your opinion? No, he's he's pretty locked in. I, he, you know, he actually was at the North Carolina game. Like, he lives there in Charlotte. He drove over with his dad. I think he was also at the Florida game. So he seems to be uh, pretty locked in. Another guy I recently messaged um you know he says I, I don't have any free weekends to even visit anywhere else i don't even because just he expects his team to make a run deep into the state playoffs uh interesting what's which will be interesting to follow with him is his teammate is, is five-star linebacker trenton simpson who recently decommitted from auburn uh miami at one time was in that kid's top five a lot of people think he's probably gonna end up at north carolina but i wouldn't be surprised if miami tried to at least get him on campus so i think quentin williams um Sticks just because you know he's he's already been down here two, twice on his own dime, uh, and he seems to be be all about it. And I actually think he's a lot better than what we thought when he committed. Like he's had a very good uh, senior bump. season. Bump him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. there's other guys. There's other guys I'd push for bumps before him, like Brian Balaam, but that's me. You ready to make some depressing Pittsburgh game to, uh, predictions? Score predictions? Yeah. What do you right. got? Because la- last week I didn't come into this prepared, and I tossed out some random thing, and I was like, damn, why did I say that? But you <laughs> give me yours first. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go, like, on paper, I honestly don't think Miami matches up well with Pittsburgh. Um, I'm going Pittsburgh 31, Miami 13. Uh, I just don't see it, man. I think we'll see if DJ Dallas plays. Um, you know, the quarterbacks are both kind of dealing with, with injuries. Pittsburgh's pass rush statistically is the best in the country. They're going up up against the Miami offensive line. That just is not good. Um, you know, Miami's going to have to hit some deep shots offensively. We'll see if they can do that on a consistent (laughs) basis. Oh, I mean, you're, you're asking them to do it without their top deep threat and Jeff Thomas, right? Jeff Thomas is still suspended. Um, uh, you know, defensively, I, I think Miami should start the game better, but, and, and look, honestly, this in my mind comes down to, so in my mind, Pittsburgh quarterback, Kenny Pickett is a streaky guy. So he can be streaky, good and streaky, bad. If he's streaky, good, it, it could potentially get ugly for Miami. If if he can't get on one of those hot streaks and if, um, you know, 
he's kind of out there running for his life and making bad decisions, which he, he will do at times, then Miami's defense can keep the, the score closer. Um, but with that said, I'm going Pittsburgh 31, Miami 13. All right. I, I got this one. I do want to point out uh, Bill Conley's S&P, if you, know, if you guys are familiar with that. Um, you know, it's a big advanced stat analytic type thing. He actually has Miami winning this game 24 to 18 in in his projections and his projections are the ones that, that he, it projected Miami to beat Virginia as well. So, um, and when a lot of people, including, uh, the two of us on this podcast thought Miami had no chance. So, uh, I just pointing that out. I got pit. Do it. I got pit. I got Pitt winning 28 to 20. I think this is going to be another close game. Like Miami will be in this game, but I just, I mean, how are you expecting a team to kind of pull it out uh, in the end? You you mentioned it being a bad matchup for, uh, for Miami. Uh, Pitt's defense has graded out according to pro football focus as, as the nation's 14th best defense this season, um, which means this is the best defense Miami has played to date. Uh, they also rank eighth in pass coverage. So yeah. with, I'm a big Cam Harris guy, but you're playing um, your backup running back behind a very bad off, uh, offensive line um, with plenty of question marks at, at at quarterback. It's just hard to see Miami being able to put up the points. Yeah. You know, also with these close. I don't also see the with, points, man. Right. I don't see also, how they're gonna do it. Right, and this team has been. <laughs> I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to give up a off, you know, the offense to to give up a, a touchdown to to Pitt's defense, or this their for for there to be a special teams breakdowns. And then once you spot the other team another score, I think it becomes very easy for, uh, you know, it it becomes harder for Miami to get to whatever number they need. Who who for Miami is going to be the best offensive player and the best defensive player this week? I'm going Brevin Jordan. I think they're going to have to try to re- lean on him, especially with DJ out. Uh, maybe maybe some more tight end screens. Um, I, even with Jeff Thomas out, I think they're going to keep trying to lean on him on defense. Uh, hopefully it's Greg Russo. Uh, but I am intrigued by Zach McLeod coming back. What about you? Who do you got? So for me on offense, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's KJ Osborne because I think if Miami does hit some deep balls, it, it would be to him. And then defensively, I'm going Greg Rousseau. You know, I think he's a guy who, you know, Kenny Pickett, the pit quarterback, likes to roll out to his right. And so you would hope Greg Rousseau with his length and athleticism can be disruptive uh, when that happens. So hopefully Greg Rousseau has a big game. And I think if those two players do make a big impact, then, you know, Miami will have a shot. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Hopefully, um, we're able to link up on Saturday, do an instant reaction podcast. Neither of us making the trip up to Pittsburgh, but I believe we will be in Tallahassee the next week for the game. Um, So stay locked to the site. As always, we'll have full coverage, plenty of interesting stuff up. David, you got anything else? Thanks for listening. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care.